I got into Bitcoin about 2013. That's when I started hearing the word and started going to meetups and getting interested in learning more about it. And it wasn't until 2014 that I became really seriously interested in it and started to think it was actually a really big deal. Uh, my background is in computer science. So I grew up in a small town in the Midwest in Missouri and studied computer science in school. I uh, got my bachelor's in computer science. After college, I was really interested in Silicon Valley and just kind of getting closer to what I felt like was the bleeding edge of the web technology scene. So I applied for a bunch of internships. I ended up working at eBay, and that's kind of where I started my tech career. So I was in the San Francisco Bay Area for about 10 years. The first four years of that, I was an engineer at eBay, focused on backend systems and Linux infrastructure primarily. And then after that, I became enchanted with the idea of small startups. Um, you know, I kind of looked around and uh, saw that a lot of my peers in the industry were at these really tiny, scrappy companies, and they were so passionate about the mission that they were on, and they were just working really hard, building cool stuff, and there was no big enterprise bureaucracy and anything of that nature. So I'm, I'm probably making it out to be a little more idealistic than, than it might be, but, um, but I was enchanted with that whole idea of a place where you could move fast and just get a tight-knit group of people working together to build stuff. So after about four years at eBay, I started looking around at uh, different opportunities and eventually had a couple of different rides through startup acquisition cycles. So I was at a cloud computing startup for about three years, and then it, it was acquired by a larger enterprise, EMC. And I wasn't really digging life at EMC, so I left and joined another startup, and that one was in the artificial intelligence deep learning space. Um, this whole time, my focus was still on backend infrastructure, so doing management of small software engineering and DevOps teams. Um, and then ultimately, that startup, Nirvana, was acquired by Intel. So I kind of saw that cycle a couple times of tiny, passionate team trying to build something, and uh, and then ultimately getting kind of acquired by uh, by a larger entity and uh, and then seeing that ride the the sometimes jarring ride from really small company to a large corporate behemoth um, so so I think that was really interesting in helping it shape my understanding of what it takes to just build more broadly. You know, when you're at a big enterprise, you get really focused on your specific area. Um, but when you're at a small startup, you get all this exposure to other sides of the business. You get to see the challenges of marketing and sales and product and business development. And that I'm really grateful that I was able to experience because I didn't have any appreciation for that before working for those tiny companies. So that's kind of the, the backdrop to the experience that I brought to that kind of my context in which I discovered Bitcoin. Um, I found Bitcoin, as I mentioned, you know, 2013, 2014, coworkers in San Francisco at the time were really interested in it. And some of them were brilliant engineers. And so just seeing these people who I felt were so smart, uh, think that this was important, got me curious. And that led me to do more research, join Twitter, and, you know, kind of had to, to wade through all the, the different material online, went down the path of altcoins for a while, and then 
eventually arrived back at believing that Bitcoin is, um, you know, the, the most promising in terms of that type of technology that I see out there. Um, and the only one that's a potential contender for the future of money, which I think is the biggest application by far for, for Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so when was that then that you realized Bitcoin is the only thing that matters? <laughs> Great question. Um, Bitcoin maximalism, right? I wouldn't say so much, you know, that Bitcoin is the only thing that matters is a little bit of an extreme statement maybe or hyperbolic. I And I'm probably guilty of giving off that vibe on Twitter sometimes. But, but really, I just think that there, the the pendulum swung so far in 2016 and 2017 toward altcoins and ICOs and in some cases just blatant scams and get-rich-quick schemes that it, it's almost like everything needed to be guilty until proven innocent. That became, in my opinion, kind of the valid way to approach the sector at the time because there are so many people out there trying to realizing how lucrative it can be to create their new coin and convince people that it's the future that you have to constantly be on guard and so in order to counter that uh i think going way back to the extreme end of like no let's focus just on bitcoin and encourage new people in the space to focus just on bitcoin then even if some other tech is promising and does end up being wonderful, it at least helps position them to not get scammed by a lot of the badness that was floating around out there a few years ago and you know still is to, to a large extent. Um, so I, uh, I think that in 2016, I discovered the writings of the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. And that was formative for me. I had an interest, a casual interest in economics, uh, you know, kind of coming out of 2008, I was a big Ron Paul supporter and during his presidential candidate uh, candidacy in the US. And he mentioned Austrian economics a lot and Ludwig von Mises and Frederick Hayek. And that got me intrigued with that whole world, just where money comes from, what money is and the Austrian school of thought. And so I think that helped prime me a little bit to appreciate certain aspects of Bitcoin. And then in discovering the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute and their writings, they really uh, examined Bitcoin through an economics lens. Um, and one, uh, you know, that is particularly like the, the Austrian school. And so that just really helped drive it home for me, um, the value proposition of Bitcoin as money and what that adoption cycle might look like. And so I think their writings were prescient, you know, Michael Goldstein, Pierre Richard, uh, the Daniel Krawitz at, at the time um, was was really helpful in me kind of getting my bearings, uh, honing in on Bitcoin as the, the most promising technology there and being able to thoughtfully evaluate others. It just gave me a really good foundation for that. Okay, so what does Bitcoin mean to you? Bitcoin means a number of things. There are a lot of promising use cases, but the but to me the most important thing about Bitcoin is it's the revolution. I think the paradigm that we live in of large nations being able to extract wealth from their citizens without much 
accountability um, and without citizens having much real say or leverage in the matter is unfortunate. And most of my, you know, I was pretty politically active before for many years and felt disenchanted by how much effort someone can pour into the system and really not move the needle on important issues. You know, um, I, it's great that we live in a society where, you know, in theory, you have this representation through voting and the ability to change the system. And certainly we have free speech, um, you know, and, and we do have a lot of comforts and luxuries, but uh, I just, I feel like the system could be so much better. And I also feel like the comforts that many people in, uh, in certain countries enjoy come at the expense, the unfair expense of other nations in the world that are being put at a disadvantage by the monetary system, by the, the dominance of the US dollar. And so I was really, uh, I was frustrated by that for a long time and think that Bitcoin finally struck a chord with me as a way that we could actually change it. Like not just change who the figurehead is at the top of this system and not just change some of the rules within the system, but change the system. Um, really taking your economic activity, your human labor and productivity and the value that you create in the world and storing that in Bitcoin, re removing that from the, the traditional legacy system and the fiat system and opting out and storing that in Bitcoin that's powerful. Um, I think that's far more powerful than voting. And to people who aren't too familiar with Bitcoin, that statement might seem shallow or, uh, or you know, unpalatable, like the idea that Bitcoin could be more important than voting. But I don't say it lightly. Um, I say it very thoughtfully, and I encourage anyone who's put off by that statement to, to just come at this with an open mind. Um, I believe that Bitcoin simply buying Bitcoin and holding it is a far more powerful way to change the system than voting. I would recommend everyone take whatever hours in the day that they spend trying to change things through the traditional system and thoughtfully evaluate, you know, if I invested this time in understanding Bitcoin instead and how to secure Bitcoin instead, what would that change look like and how to encourage others to do that? Um, and I, that's the movement that I think is most world changing about Bitcoin and that I'm most excited about. Yeah. So do you think Bitcoin will help bring central banks and governments down? And do, do you see Bitcoin helping creating anarcho-capitalist societies? I hope so. Um, I hope that Bitcoin ends the corrupt fiat money regime that has unfairly extracted wealth from millions of people for centuries um you know i i don't know that it will i i don't know the future but i believe it's the best it's certainly the best shot we have um i'm tempted to say it's the only shot that we have uh, i don't think that any other digital currencies have that potential simply because they're subject to change so you'll hear a lot of people who are fans of other coins say oh well um you know maybe my coin is superior because it has these privacy characteristics or it has this different monetary policy. 
Um, but at the end of the day, I think Bitcoin is the only coin that is decentralized enough, not only in terms of technology, but also socially decentralized enough. It doesn't have a leader. It doesn't even have a single influential figurehead behind it who could be coerced or blackmailed into, into trying to make changes to it. Bitcoin is the hardest to change. And that sounds like a bad thing, right? If you come from Silicon Valley culture of build products quickly, and iterate and move fast, break things. The idea of something that's difficult to change can seem like a turnoff, but it's it's powerful. And that's the differentiation. That is actually the value proposition of Bitcoin is its immutability. The fact that there will only ever be 21 million and they will be issued at this predictable rate and no one can alter that. Um, that no, you know, no government, no individual, no corporation, no uh, wealthy person. So so that resistance to change, I think, is unique in the ecosystem. And maybe other digital assets will have some interesting applications and use cases, but the strongest contender for money is Bitcoin. I think that is Bitcoin's game to lose by far. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so in, you invested in a lot of Bitcoin companies who are privacy-oriented and built as per the ethos of cyberpunks. So, some, so maybe some of these companies may not get funded from traditional VCs or or angels because of their their anti-nester structure but you decided to fund in them so why is that and what what was your thesis behind them yeah i i believe that privacy well um i guess to speak very broadly uh i, I think at the time that I was making some of those investments, for example, Samurai Wallet um, is a company in the Bitcoin space that I invested in. And they're, uh, you know, a great Android wallet, very privacy focused, and I love what they're doing. And at the time that I invested in them, there was a lot of focus in the community around the block size debate. And I worried that even though the block size debate is really important to figure out, and, and we need to take it seriously and figure it out, that advancements in privacy were just getting put on the back burner because of that. And we were not making progress on privacy in the ways that we should and fungibility. And so around that time, I encountered the samurai team and loved what they were doing, loved their, you know, kind of bold, uncompromising vision for how important privacy is for the future. And that really resonated with me. And uh, I think that you know, there there are other coins out there like Monero and Zcash that kind of claim or attempt to bake privacy into layer one of some alternate coin. But I I just have trouble seeing that be successful for the reasons we just talked about with, you know, decentralization and them having uh, certain figureheads who can influence the protocol um, uh, amongst other shortcomings. So I think that Bitcoin having the biggest market cap, the most liquidity, and being the most saleable digital asset, I think making it private and investing in companies that are building technology such that Bitcoin can be transferred uh, without surveillance companies knowing what's going on is important. Um, it's effectively like there's a bounty on that, right? The more value that flows into Bitcoin, the higher its market cap is, the the more of a bounty there is in a way on the ability for one person to transfer it privately and trustlessly to another person. And so I really like that incentive structure. Um, it, it's, I think there's not too much 
appreciation for that in the traditional VC realm. So if companies are going out and they want to be a Bitcoin only startup and focused on privacy and fungibility with a cypherpunk ethos, unfortunately, that's kind of hard to get funding for right now. And so I like being able to connect with entrepreneurs who are taking that approach in an early stage and help, you know, early on and kind of like pre-seed or angel stages, at least with that. And I'm optimistic and hopeful that later stage funds, like when companies get to, you know, uh, bigger seed rounds and certainly like series A and beyond that eventually some large funds will uh, kind of begin to appreciate a Bitcoin focus and a cypherpunk ethos. But I don't think success is dependent on that. That's something I hope to see, but I, I think Bitcoin, you know, works <laughs> either way. And these companies can find funding through even a non-traditional model, right? There are a lot of uh, ways in which even traditional venture capital could be threatened by Bitcoin to some extent. Um, you know, there are regulations about who's allowed to invest in startups. And, um, you know, I can see if Bitcoin's value continues to rise, more and more companies being funded by individuals, perhaps even pseudonymously, uh, and, you know, denominate, like keeping company funds in Bitcoin, um, really operating the company on Bitcoin. And who knows, someday, perhaps even an ecosystem will develop of Bitcoin-based companies where you would have the ability as a startup to pay your vendors in Bitcoin. Um, that's far off if it does develop. I'm optimistic that it will develop. But uh, I guess the main thing is, even if traditional venture capital never warms up to this stuff, I don't think that's an impediment to Bitcoin success, certainly. And I don't even necessarily think it's an impediment to the success of companies within the space because um, the model could change. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what data points you look at when you invest in those companies, those Bitcoin companies? I typically like to invest uh, really early stage. In a couple instances, I've been the first outside check into the company and I really enjoy that. Um, the opportunity to connect with the founders and in some, in many cases, it's pre-revenue. In some cases, it's pre-product, uh, pre-launch. Very much the idea phase, and when it's when it's in that phase, it's very much a bet on the founders and the vision. And those are my favorite things to invest in. So I don't have a finance pedigree. I would not be a successful or effective, uh, you know, venture capitalist at later stages if the game is like scrutinized spreadsheets of runway and figure out returns. I don't particularly enjoy that and feel like that's a differentiator for me as an investor. Um, I like thinking about how Bitcoin is going to change the future and then working backwards from that future and thinking about, okay, if that's true, then what tech is going to be important and profitable to get there? And how do we, you know, connect with and enable those entrepreneurs and those founders? So for me, yeah, it's heavily focused on the product, the vision, and, uh, and then all of the subsequent, you know, discussions about financing and all of that. That's certainly important, but that tends to be more rigid at later stages than, than when I usually get involved. Yeah. Okay, so you, as you are an investor, so you have 
to somehow predict the future. So where do you see Bitcoin businesses going forward and what kind of businesses, Bitcoin businesses you are most bullish on? And also do, uh, uh, what are your views on second layer infrastructure companies? Yeah, good questions. Um, I'm most bullish on companies that are taking a Bitcoin only or at least Bitcoin focused approach. Uh, um, I think they're like, as an example for retail on ramps, I think Coinbase is wasting a lot of money right now on adding support for altcoins and other digital assets. And that presents an opportunity for other retail on ramps to deliver more rich experiences that are focused on Bitcoin and to differentiate themselves in ways by maybe enabling greater privacy during withdrawals, maybe adding PayNim and payment code supports for withdrawals is just one tiny example. But there are a lot of ways that if a company really, really focuses on Bitcoin and perhaps second layer solutions like Lightning, they can deliver a better user experience than companies who distract themselves with a lot of altcoins. And so I'm interested to see that play out over the next two to three years. And I'm hopeful that the Bitcoin focused companies will really see tangible success as a result of those approaches. Um, second layer solutions are really interesting. I'm a big fan of Lightning, uh, cautiously optimistic on technologies like Liquid as well. I think Blockstream's Liquid product as uh, a potential framework for with a different trust model and different trade-offs certainly, but as a way for exchanges, um, B2B uh, entities, and you know maybe whale traders to do different types of lower latency transfers. That's super interesting. A lot of the use cases that started on Ethereum for tokenization of assets, um, they I could see those migrating to platforms like Liquid or some second layer solution that's rooted to Bitcoin's base um, over the next five years. I'm really interested to see whether that plays out. Um, Ethereum has been the most developer-friendly way to create a digital asset. And because of that, we've seen this proliferation of assets on top of it. And now that that usability is starting to, to be realized on top of other, uh, we're on top of Bitcoin effectively, like rooted to Bitcoin's proof of work and security, I'm really keen on seeing if there is this gradual migration of those use cases back on top of Bitcoin. Um, Lightning, I also really, I, I really love Lightning's potential for micropayments. I think that use case kind of fell into the background. Um, there was, you know, a company in 2016, 2017, 21.co, which later became earn.com, talked a lot about micropayments. And I think they were right. They were just early, you know. And at the time, Lightning didn't really exist, at least in its current form. And so they were attempting to do things on chain and then on chain fees rose really high around 2017. And so those use cases for micropayments just kind of got pushed out. But now that Lightning is becoming more and more robust, I can see so many fascinating use cases for micropayments where they just, I don't think it thought about as much because it's tempting to look around at how we use money today and we can see Bitcoin replacing that in the future but there are all these other ways that we can't even use money today because of just the for technical reasons like we haven't been able to send 
five cents to someone around the world or a penny to someone on the other side of the world um, simply because we haven't had the technology, right? It would get eaten away by middlemen and fees and entities like PayPal and what have you. Uh, but now with Bitcoin and Lightning, we might. And that's a game changer. Like I, I could see the entire infrastructure of the internet working differently and being structured differently once you can weave economics and money into the protocols and into the system. So if you can charge a little bit of Bitcoin for an API to return a result, for a web page to load, for an, an email to be sent, for a router to hold routes in its routing table, then like anywhere that you have scarce resources, the ability to kind of monetize and have money involved uh, is, can make the system more efficient. And we've, for decades, had this infrastructure and these, we, we've had to resort to really inefficient ways to monetize them. So we have this complex web of advertisers and centralized middlemen that are like taking some value out of the middle or these heavy handed subscription models where users pay a fixed amount per month. And the more and more granular that you can get and the more that you can actually have people or machines on behalf of people kind of pay for only what they're using when they need it, the better. And I could see, yeah, the, the whole centralized hierarchy of the internet could look a lot differently if low latency, small value transactions become feasible and robust. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that that is a probable future, maybe. Okay, so uh, one more question. So I know there is no particular answer to this question, but what is your exit strategy with, with Bitcoin companies you invested in? What is my exit strategy? Good question. Um, so I've been angel investing for about three years now. So I haven't yet had an exit on any of the companies that I've invested in. Uh, the typical cycle for those things, you know, like two to three years would be very fast in terms of a startup exit. And sometimes it's more on the order of like five, 10 years. Um, I encourage the founders that I work with to you know, not think too much just about an exit, just build something that people love. And uh, there, there was a great quote from Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator uh, one time, I'll probably mangle the exact words, but it was along the lines of, you know, as a founder, you should have to, you should have to make a potential acquirer almost like rip you away from your otherwise successful, profitable business, right? Like you shouldn't, go and kind of beg to be acquired or or just have the exit be what you're marching towards mentally day to day um, let that come to you just focus on building something to last a long time and to build something that people love and i think if you do that then it ironically positions you even better if uh <laughs> you know if, if there is some type of an exit the exit will come to you yeah for sure okay so you don't have any particular uh, time frame or anything no angel investing is really high risk so you certainly have to go into it with a mindset of, of you know maybe like as much as i want all of my investments to succeed uh, it's certainly possible that all of them will you know fail but you'll lose all your money um and that's just the reality of that world even if the timing is right and the product is right 
uh, you know, it's, it tends to be a small team, maybe one or two founders and a couple others. And there are all kinds of just life events and externalities that can affect the trajectory of company. So going into it with eyes wide open is important for anyone considering angel investing. I would also recommend if anyone out there is interested in that space to start on sites like angel.co, which allow users to do syndicated investments. And the barrier for entry tends to be lower that way. It's a really good way to start to understand the mechanics of angel investing without having to risk a bunch of capital or without having to have an established network in a particular sector. So I've done about 10 angel investments in my career so far. And the first four of the five of those actually were syndicated smaller investments through angel.co. And that just helped me learn, okay, these are the instruments that are being used. This is, you know, all the terminology. And then you can start to build out your foundation of understanding. And then if you do have a sector in which you're directly connected to entrepreneurs, like the Bitcoin sector for me, then you can use that foundation to start to go directly and more independently and then invest uh, directly into those entities. And I've seen that uh, trajectories worked really well for me. And I would encourage anyone who's interested in doing that investing to, to maybe look into that approach as well. Um, so I'm, you know, hoping to, for, for me, I think when it comes to exit strategy, one funny thing to think about is what the returns are denominated in, right? Because if you understand the value proposition of Bitcoin, then startup investments compete with that in your head, right? It's like, do I hold Bitcoin if I believe it's going to go up 10x in the next couple of years? Or do I invest in a startup if it has the potential to 10x in or even like 100x uh, beyond that? And I think that phenomenon is, is funny. I, uh, I don't have a, a strict strategy there. Um, I'm even okay with startups that I invest in, you know, holding Bitcoin directly on their balance sheet. Um, but the, and so you maybe get indirect exposure if you are very bullish on Bitcoin um, as a result of that. But um, but I think it's funny because that same mentality of Bitcoin changing your time preference and making you more hesitant to spend money on things, just like it makes you think harder about buying new clothes if you walk through the mall. Um, it might make you more hesitant to to invest in a bunch of startups if uh, if you really believe that Bitcoin presents a better risk reward proposition. So I think there are a lot of startups that I would have invested in in the last two years if Bitcoin didn't exist. I passed on a lot of potentially great startups because I just it's hard to find a more promising risk reward trade off than holding Bitcoin directly. And so when I do uh, spend Bitcoin or invest in startups rather than just holding Bitcoin, it's often because I think that startup, you know, not only will be important and profitable and successful and have a return, but also oftentimes it's just like something good for the future in the world, right? It supports a cause that you want to see, um, whether that's privacy um, in the Bitcoin space, fungibility, or just working towards helping increase adoption and increase the, the hodler base. Yeah. So that was my next. That was my next question. That you know, it must be very hard to choose between Bitcoin and Bitcoin companies, because as you said, Bitcoin perform better risk reward ratio, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
it, it is important to to remind yourself that if you are holding Bitcoin, then you are helping Bitcoin companies. It's less direct, so um, you know it's still. I think if you find a company that you're ideologically aligned with and they're doing something you believe strongly in, and you're in a position to help them or to invest in them directly, then like certainly you know do that <laughs> or consider doing that. Um, but we are also all helping Bitcoin companies indirectly by holding Bitcoin and just, you know, contributing to the reservation demand for Bitcoin as an asset. And the more that number go up, um, which, you know, sounds very shallow, but the more that the price of Bitcoin goes up, the the more marketing it is to, to kind of use that term, um, the, the more it helps generate interest in the space, the more demand for services provided by companies that are focused on bitcoin so so there is that as well yeah okay so uh, as we are seeing a lot of people like uh, rumors that people and Venmo are also getting into bitcoin buying and selling game so do you think it may impact bitcoin startups you invested in because they already have a bigger user base <laughs> um yeah, this has been a controversial topic on Bitcoin Twitter lately. There's been a lot of division over whether companies like PayPal getting into the space are a net positive for Bitcoin. I I think that they are. Um, you know, I I appreciate the cypherpunk, not your keys, not your coins approach. I think if you can buy Bitcoin without KYC and without having your identity attached to it, that's the best way to do so. Um, but I also believe that most people are like these companies like paypal or traditional finance institutions like fidelity they are already embedded into so many people's world and their workflow right and so it brings bitcoin to them rather than them having to go out of their way and curiously explore this bitcoin thing and to find new companies like you know, uh, Swan, like there are a lot of great Bitcoin on ramps, right? There's Swan Bitcoin, which I'm an investor in, there's River Financial, um, both great companies. But you go to them if you're interested in Bitcoin. And it's wonderful that they exist. But I think it's, it's a net positive for the ecosystem if Bitcoin just creeps into, you know, all these other companies that, that people are already using. And that just helps raise awareness of Bitcoin. And like, certainly I'm skeptical of a lot of PayPal's business, right? They have a history of censoring transactions. They censored WikiLeaks, um, you know, back in 2010, I believe. Uh, so like, I, I do worry that they would not appreciate a lot of Bitcoin's value proposition around uncensorable peer-to-peer -peer cash and all of that. Um, but I think they would bring a lot of new value into the system. They would help the price go up. They would help the market cap go up and onboard new users. And as long as those users ultimately have some path to be able to control their own keys and to be able to run their own node, and I'm optimistic that it could be a net positive for the ecosystem. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I, I think it's inevitable too, that like, like I would encourage anyone who is in the camp of, oh, you know, 
I'm a cypherpunk and therefore these companies are just inherently bad. Like there is no net positive from, from that coming out. I would encourage them to just think critically about, well, how, how do we avoid that? Like, how do we defend against adoption of Bitcoin? Is there a way that you can stop PayPal and Visa and MasterCard and Venmo from like ever adopting this? Because if you don't, you know, if you think it's a net negative for Bitcoin, and then that means this is some kind of attack vector. And how do you realistically defend against that? And maybe the answer is, yeah, we, you know, uh, we tweet a lot. <laughs> encouraging people not to use it and uh and we guide people in other directions but I, I would just have a tough time seeing that path be successful if if it really does hinge on these big entities not adopting bitcoin so i'm optimistic that these companies will adopt bitcoin that trend will continue it will bring new value and uh, you know a flood of new value into the space raise awareness and then those users will start to understand what makes bitcoin special and they can use it in the right ways ultimately yeah for sure okay so what do you think is the end game for bitcoin it sounds hyperbolic but i think the end game for bitcoin really is uh ending the the fiat money system and the the era of central banking i really love the you know vj boyapati's writing and the bullish case for bitcoin and i think it was in that article that he said Ed, you know we might examine history and see the time in which we've lived central banking as an anomaly right it's hard for us to know that it's not normal in the grander scheme of things because it's all we've known for all of our lives and it's been all around us so it's kind of like water to fish right but but uh but it really it hasn't been like that for most of history most of history has been scarce assets gold sound money um having a way to preserve the wealth that you create and certainly not having this global or national monetary policy dictated by these large centralized entities. Um, so I think Bitcoin, yeah, it helps us change that paradigm. I, I think it helps usher in an age in which it won't be practical for nations to wage endless wars against each other to spend trillions of dollars uh, debasing the currency or getting into debt in order to do so. If people have a real alternative like Bitcoin to store their wealth in, every person who buys and holds Bitcoin is helping contribute to that future by reducing the demand for fiat money, by reducing the demand for dollars. The reasons that you know the, the US and other countries are able to go and wage endless wars is because people hold dollars, they give dollars value and demand. And so the more and more that we chip away at that, and then people start to hold Bitcoin instead, the more leverage that people have in those discussions. And, and yeah, I, I really believe in the sovereign individual thesis, I think the dominant entity of, of our lives has always been the nation state. And Bitcoin finally presents the opportunity to shift away from that towards more of a future in which the individual is the sovereign entity and is very powerful. And maybe that means things like, like Bitcoin citadels. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a cute meme and, and I love it, but I could actually see a future in which there's kind of this secession from these uh, big centralized systems. And 
even being active on social media like Bitcoin Twitter is a form of seceding in place because you can you can opt in digitally to you know uh, Twitter instead of CNN like opt into out of the mainstream news you can now opt out of mainstream money and central banking with Bitcoin and so in the future I could see it also being geographic you can you know literally vote with your feet and go to some uh, you know, citadel or whatever the word ends up being, city-state for uh, for a set of like-minded individuals who want to organize around principles of peace and sound money. And that's a future that I get pretty excited in thinking about. That could be really cool. Yeah, let's hope we all end up in Bitcoin Citadels. <laughs> Here's to that. Okay, so I, I think Bitcoin Twitter, is, Bitcoin Twitter is citadel in making. There are already a lot of people who are who are into same ideas and philosophies, right? Okay, so so last question before we wrap it up. If you have to invest in one Bitcoin company and leave it for 10 years, what would it be? Ooh, in one Bitcoin company. Let's uh, say I'm assuming, yeah, it can't be a company that I'm already invested in. Um, it can be. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, that is, you know, it, it's really tough. Um, I'll, I'll kind of go with one that I'm not yet invested in. And actually, they're probably at like a later stage um, that, you know, maybe like they're well past angel funding and all of that. They're a far more developed company by now. But I will just as a sign of like support and bullishness, I'm really stoked about the stuff that Lightning Labs is doing. Um, Lalu, Elizabeth Stark, the team that they've assembled, and I think they're best positioned to help lay the foundation for uh, a lightning based computing infrastructure. They recently uh, released a spec for LSAT, LSAT, um, which is a way to, it's kind of a specification related to what we were talking about earlier for micropayments on the web and being able to embed Bitcoin lightning payments into REST APIs that like the HTTP protocols that are um, the the bedrock of the internet, and so I'm just I'm really excited to uh, to see how that develops, um, what companies take that type of technology and run with it and apply it, and uh, you know it, yeah, I'm a big big fan of everything that they're doing, and you know would love to be involved in any capacity with them. We'll be an enthusiastic supporter if nothing else. <laughs> okay, okay. So one more question: What are your some of some of your favorite writers? Some of my favorite writers. Um, I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand. She, you know, her her books are pretty popular in with some Bitcoiners as well, uh, like Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. Atlas Shrugged is by far my favorite book. Um, it changed my life. I, I think she gets. She tends to be a polarizing figure, and a lot of people have a negative interpretation of her work. They think that she advocates being selfish and that if you are a fan of Ayn Rand, then that just inherently means you don't care about other people and you know all, all of these negative things or you're an isolationist. But that's just not my interpretation of it. I, I think she advocates for capitalism and voluntary free interactions among free people. And her writings really uh, opened my eyes to that. Um, to just the, an appreciation for people who build things and who work hard and who create value in the world so that 
my life and everyone's life can become more comfortable through voluntary, peaceful interaction. Uh, so yeah, Atlas Shrugged is by far my favorite book. Ayn Rand is probably my favorite writer. Um, a couple of other, Peter Thiel, Zero to One, is the most succinct, uh, best business book I've ever read by far. Um, and then The Sovereign Individual is another popular one that gets talked about a lot in the Bitcoin space. It was written in 1997, like the late 90s, by um, you know a couple of political scientists and economists, uh, William Reese Mogg, I believe. And uh, it described, it makes some pretty bold predictions about the way that the future could go. And this was before the internet was as big of a deal as it is right now. And, you know, especially before Bitcoin existed at all. And they talk about how having digital money, uh, not just the way to like send payments like we've had for decades, but actual digital money like Bitcoin will change the world. Yeah, like the societal implications, the implications for government and states and people and how we organize things. And I just think it's prophetic. I'm a big believer that the future looks like what that book predicts and projects. Um, so that was another formative one for me. Yeah, I think a lot of things are playing out as per that book. Okay, okay, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for your time. So any last thoughts and can you please let people know where they can find you? Sure. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's really cool to to be able to chat. And thank you for having me on. I am the best place to find me is on Twitter. I tweet mostly about Bitcoin stuff. Um, Twitter.com slash S-T-H-E-N-C. S -T -H -E -N -C. And uh, would yeah encourage anyone out there to, um, you know, it's probably a lot of Bitcoiners who are already listening to this. But if you are just new to Bitcoin, if you're curious about Bitcoin, um, I think the material at bitcoin-intro.com is by far one of the best resources for new people out there. And I would say, you know, just get a little bit, buy a little bit of Bitcoin, get some skin in the game, and then that will help provide an incentive for you to, to learn more. And most Bitcoiners, despite some of the, the nonsense tweets, are very happy to help people understand this stuff and successfully use this stuff. Um, so if anyone is new to Bitcoin and, uh, you know, needs help using it, my DMs are open or tweet at me anytime. And if there are entrepreneurs out there who are building Bitcoin focused companies, especially with the cypherpunk ethos for a sovereign individual future, then I want to talk to you. That, that's the kind of stuff I would love to be involved in. Perfect. Okay, Stefan, thank you again. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much, Rebecca.